0: Hey there, it's Danielle Kurtzleben and before we start the show, we want to ask you to support your local NPR station. By supporting them, you're supporting all of us on this podcast. All of our lives were upended this year and we at NPR and at all of your local stations have tried to cut through the noise to make sure you know the facts about the election, the coronavirus and so many other stories. So, if you've got some dollars to spare, head to donate.npr.org slash politics to get started. Again, that's donate.npr.org slash politics. And thank you.
1: Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House.
2: I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the Biden transition. I'm Jennifer Ludden.
3: I edit energy and environment.
1: So, Jennifer Ludden, you're here joining us. Thanks so much for talking with us. Hello. Hello. Uh, So, Joe Biden has over and over emphasized climate as a central part of his administration. We're going to get into what that really means. But first, let's start with what the last four years have looked like for climate policy, because it really hasn't existed. Right, Jennifer?
3: Right. Well, it's been very active, sort of like in the reverse. I mean, we, you know, after going from President Obama to Trump was like whiplash, and we're kind of heading, you know, reverse whiplash again, all those actions that Obama took in eight years, we have seen dozens and dozens of rollbacks of them. Uh, you know, there was the Paris Climate Accord, of course, and then, you um, rules to bring down carbon emissions in power plants, to make cars more fuel efficient, um, to, you know, restrict development of wetlands and so forth. A lot of this has been challenged. You know, we've had a lot of court cases and the Trump administration has lost some of those, but uh, some are ongoing. And, you know, another um, maybe lasting climate legacy of President Trump will be all the conservative court appointees he had, including three in the Supreme Court, which is where some of these uh, contested rules may end up.
1: But to, to be frank, climate action has never really measured up to what scientists say we needed, right?
3: It's, it's we as a country have fallen short. True. I know so much, um, you know, Obama had so many fights about getting, you know, his measures passed and they're really inadequate. Um, but I will say so much has changed in the past four years. It's pretty remarkable. Um, We have been sort of hanging out in limbo or reverse, but the rest of the world and a lot of U.S. cities and states have just been on fast forward. Uh, You have seen countries, cities, states, um, businesses, industry, utility companies establish these incredibly ambitious goals of not only reducing carbon emissions, but trying to go for zero carbon in the next few decades. This has been driven by, you know, Major shift in public opinion, huge ramp up in extreme weather disasters. More Americans are feeling this viscerally in their lives. Why, the, you know the hurricanes, the fires, the heat, and so you know it's pretty clear that uh, just bringing back what Obama had managed to pass is not going to be nearly enough
2: and that's the way that that Biden talked about this throughout the campaign and it's the way that the the various advisors and um you know cabinet picks and cabinet level uh, special positions is created are viewing this like the overwhelming view of the people who will be setting policy is The world is on the clock. The U.S. has wasted four years on this effort, and they need to radically overhaul the entire power sector over a decade and a half and then keep going and totally transform the country's economy by 2050. And that's basically to to almost the bare minimum of what is needed, uh, according to experts, to stave off the worst of, of a warming planet.
1: When you look at, you know, how you're going to deal with this issue, obviously you have the power sector, which is the huge uh, amount of the carbon comes from that. You also have the transportation, the way we fuel our cars and trucks that comes from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. What is Biden looking to do? Is he going to phase out all coal? We're going to go to all renewable energy. We all know that, you know, the sun doesn't shine all the time. Wind doesn't blow all the time. How does that work? And then President Trump would always say, you know, I can't can watch cable because the wind's not blowing, honey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Some of these paths forward are more straightforward than others, right? Like just to take um, vehicles and, and emissions, that's an area where it is pretty straightforward. And um, you have... I wouldn't even call it a reluctant agreement, right, from a lot of, lot of big auto manufacturers. Is that fair to say, Jennifer? Like It's kind of like acceptance of, of, of like, yes, yeah. both in conjunction with states like California and the federal government, which clearly has the right to do this, getting back on pace totally. to having like, stricter emissions, higher mileage standards, so cars are yeah. using less gasoline and then hopefully sooner rather than later aren't using gasoline at all.
3: Yeah, no, they're on board because, you know, the world is moving in in this direction, it's pretty clear. So, you know, they're quibbling over the details, um, but they see what's happening. And then, you know, I think the interesting thing about the Biden administration is that even beyond all these obvious things, I mean... It's like an all-hands-on-deck approach, you know, whole of government. They're going to try every way they can. Um, and you've seen Biden talk about climate with just about all of his nominees. You know, he's like, oh, my trade representative. Oh, she can really, you know, address how extreme weather is affecting global supply chains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, every every um, aspect of this is is, is how they're going to try and do it. You know, um, housing can reduce emissions in all the publicly subsidized housings it, it, housing it controls. Agriculture, you can do farming practices that kind of keep the carbon in the soil. It's like there's something for everyone, even, you know, Treasury in the way you finance, you know, there's an idea that maybe you could, you know, discourage fossil fuel investment. And Janet Yellen, his um, pick for Treasury Secretary, um, she has spoken out about the need to reduce carbon emissions.
1: And, and, you know, obviously, when we talk about climate, it's never just about one country because emissions don't, you know, care about borders or, or, or boundaries like that. This is a global issue. So, so how is, is Biden going to try to deal with this on, on an international foreign policy level?
2: It's going to be a big part of of what they're focusing on. And I think it, it, it ties with Biden's main foreign policy goal of re-engaging the U.S. with the world, right? He has made it clear that one of the very first things he's going to do is rejoin the Paris Climate Accords. He insists he's still going to have a big global climate summit in the first 100 days of his administration. I- was skeptical that could happen because of this whole pandemic thing, but Biden keeps talking about it and seems to be putting it forward. But, you know, it's it's interesting. It ties into so many things that he'll be dealing with on so many fronts, like how to deal with China is going to be one of the biggest challenges of the Biden administration. There are so many fronts where there is going to be a lot of tension with China. There's going to be a lot of confrontation with China. But this is an area where if Biden wants to try and help the world to get to the goals that are needed, China needs to be on board and working with the U.S. to stop producing new coal power plants, among many other things. So that's going to be a top area. And that's why you have, you know, Secretary of State uh, Tony Blinken, if he's confirmed, but also a former Secretary of State John Kerry, who's going to focus only on this. And we can expect he'll be spending a lot of time talking to Beijing.
1: All right. So it sounds like another tricky thing that uh, the the Biden administration is going to have to tackle. Uh, and the fate of the world is Uh, in play. So we'll just (laughs) leave
2: it there. Just just a low key thing, you know.
1: (laughs) All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking time out and talking to us. Thank you. And so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about health policy under Biden.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor AT&T. There's a lot that's different about this school year. But one thing that hasn't changed is AT&T's commitment to education. They're focused on keeping students and teachers connected to learning. It's why AT&T has connected over 200 million students with tools and technology for distance learning. Learn more at att.com slash remote learning.
3: At Planet Money, we are also grappling with what's going on in the world. We just don't know,
2: and and you're still going to have to decide. So we call up economists
3: like Emily Oster.
2: It's like we're fighting the pandemic by having a bake sale or something. I mean, all due respect to bake sales. Exactly. (laughs)
3: Listen and subscribe to Planet Money from NPR.
1: And we're back. We're joined by health reporter Selena Simmons-Duffin. How are you?
0: I'm okay. I mean... I'm talking to two people with little kids, so I think we're all in pretty much the same boat here.
1: Yes, yeah, so we may hear some kids in the background and they may not be mine this time, um but probably are.
2: We've got some bluey going in the background here and it's working well.
1: Perfect. <laughs> So, obviously, the reason why we're home is um, because there's this huge pandemic, uh, and managing that will define the first big part of Biden's presidency. But healthcare is much more than just the pandemic, uh, there's so much more uh, in the ways that it touches our lives. So, I thought it would be worth just kind of diving into that here. Let's mm-hmm. start with wh- who is on the team for Biden for healthcare?
0: Well, he's picked Javier Becerra, who's the uh, attorney general for California, as his head of HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services. And he has Dr. Rochelle Walensky coming in to run CDC. She is an infectious disease doctor who's worked on HIV for most of her career. They're really well respected. Javier Becerra doesn't have a healthcare background, but he's come up on my beat a lot because he sued the Trump administration many times over the ACA. And the ACA is the Affordable Care Act. Yes, um, he also has a really star-studded team, um, to advise him on COVID. His picks so far on the healthcare front have been pretty well received. I think that um, his HHS pick Javier Becerra might face some resistance in the Senate, but we'll have to see about that.
1: But the big thing with Becerra is that you know, as you mentioned, that he has you know done lawsuits kind of protecting the Affordable Care Act. How is Biden thinking about, you know, that law, that signature law going forward?
2: You know, it's interesting. This was like the dominant issue of that enormous Democratic primary. We spent all of 2019, particularly after every debate, talking endlessly about, you know, Candidates who wanted to do away with it, to have a whole you know, public option, um, government-run healthcare care type program, Biden defending the Affordable Care Act, that because of so many things have happened, obviously the pandemic being first among them changing the ACA is kind of dropped from that very top tier of things that Biden wants to deal with it's still important but there's other stuff in the way as well obviously if the court did throw part of that out that would change things and Biden would be trying to pass a new some sort of new ACA with Congress a a evenly divided Congress no matter what happens in Georgia but I think it's fair to say that even just being an administration that that values the ACA that values the exchanges that will make a big difference like I'm thinking Selena of, of how, how the Trump administration just like, by and large, didn't even advertise the markets when there was open enrollment to try and uh, increase enrollment in them.
0: Yeah, they slashed funding for advertising open enrollment by 90% and also cut back on the support that's available for people who are signing up. There were free um, navigators who would help people who were trying to pick a plan um, kind of go through that process. It's really complicated. It's hard to pick an insurance plan. And so having people available free of charge to kind of guide people through it was really key. And Biden has said that he would restore that funding and, and really support the ACA
1: outside of even just uh, the Affordable Care Act, you you now have, you know, other issues like the cost of medication, mm-hmm. things of that nature. What can be done, you know, via executive action on this issue? Because this is an area where the Trump administration was very active, right?
0: Well, the Trump administration tried. I mean, Trump, President Trump really railed against how Americans pay more for their drugs than people in other countries do. And that's true. I mean, we pay a lot for prescription drugs. Um, The Democrats put their flag in the sand on this issue by passing H.R. 3 last year. It gave the secretary of HHS the ability to negotiate over the cost of drugs in medicare and that would have a huge impact on the whole market beyond people in medicare if the government was able to say you know we have leverage we have buying power to the pharmaceutical industry we want to pay this for this drug and not more Um, republicans say that is government price setting that's not negotiation and it's a non-starter both Biden and Trump have expressed support for importing drugs from Canada, but that's another idea that just seems like kind of a weird workaround for actually dealing with what the costs of drugs are here and and working with drug companies to bring the costs down. Um, and I'm interested to see how this all plays out in the context of COVID because you have pharmaceutical companies. I mean, Moderna and Pfizer are on the tips of everyone's tongues because they are the creators of these vaccines that are hopefully gonna end the pandemic. Pharma had a really, really bad reputation (laughs) before the pandemic. I mean, the public perceptions of the pharmaceutical industry was just in the pits. And so I'm really interested to see how the pandemic changes the pharmaceutical industry's leverage to be able to push back on some of these ideas.
1: All right. So let's let's leave it there. Selena, thank you so much for stopping by virtually or whatever this is called now. Um, (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you for sharing all your insights. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House.
2: And I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the Biden transition.
1: Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.